Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading at the fifth verse and read through the first half of verse 15. As we come to these words, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, because you are God, your word and your word alone is life for us. And because you are gracious, we are expectant that even now, You will whisper your word of good news to us. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let us listen now for God's word for us. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. And fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Angie Thomas's novel, The Hate You Give, is a courageous and heartbreaking story of Star, a young black person, woman who is coming of age and has to face deep questions of identity, questions of whether she belongs in the world, and if so, where, and facing the reality that life has always lived close to violence, defined by violence, struggling to get over experiences of violence. There's a moment in the story where Star and her mother are driving in the car, and out of the blue, her mother says, you know, you didn't breathe when you were born. What? Star said. I had you when I was 18 still a child myself. 
There was no way that Mama thought I could be a decent parent, but I did everything right. I quit drinking and smoking. I made all of my appointments and took all of my vitamins. I even played Mozart through some, through some headphones that I put next to my belly. We see what good that did. You didn't last a month in piano lessons. They laughed. But in that delivery room, when they pulled you out, I waited for you to cry, but you didn't. Everybody started running around. I freaked. Your daddy couldn't calm me down. And the, after the longest minute of my life, you finally cried. But I was crying harder because I was convinced I had done something wrong. A nurse grabbed my hand and she looked in my eyes and she said, Honey, sometimes you do everything right and things will still go wrong. The key is you never stop doing right. In 1989, Carol and I very easily packed all of our worldly possessions into a U-Haul truck, and we drove from Charleston, South Carolina, where I had served Westminster Church as an associate pastor, and the saints there, they tried to teach me to be a pastor. We drove from there to New Haven, Connecticut, so I could go back to school. Just a few weeks after our departure, Hurricane Hugo blew Charleston apart. My mentor, Bob Dunham, the senior pastor at Westminster, he said that next day, the people of the church, they gathered in a sanctuary with no electricity. They prayed, they sang a few hymns, they found strength. Bob told me in the immediate aftermath of the storm, there was an energy to face the crisis. Neighbor took care of neighbor. They, they pulled great food from lifeless refrigerators, and they barbecued out in the, in the street and fed the whole street. But months passed, and fall turned to winter as much as you have winter in Charleston. And winter turned to spring. And by Easter, they were done. By Easter, they needed things to be normal again, and they were still far from normal. And the energy and the compassion and the better self that so easily was accessible began to slip from their hearts and their fingers. It was the inability to get past all of this that wore on them. It's hard to be yourself, your best self when you're that weary. I've been thinking about that a lot this year. This year started like most, but then as spring began to arrive, we found ourselves facing a crisis. It was March the 12th. A task force here decided we would suspend worship on site for a few weeks. We would we would flatten the curve. I was naive about that. I thought we would be back in worship by Easter. It never dawned on me that I would preach to you from a cemetery on Easter morning. And then I thought Pentecost. Pentecost, the birthday of the church. What a great day to come back 
to church. And then I realized flattening the curve wasn't going to get things back to normal. Flattening the curve didn't mean the virus was gone. It just meant the healthcare system could keep up. And here it is. I think it's been 40 Sundays. We've been coming to you on your screen. And the curve is no longer flat. And with each passing week, we are setting new records of positive cases and of death. And there's a weariness. But we're ready for things to get back to normal. The talk of vaccines, it's helpful. But the logistics of vaccinating an entire nation and the societal suspicion of science that among many of our neighbors leaves us in a place where it's hard to tell when it's going to be safe for us to be together again. And it's wearying. And I imagine Zechariah could relate. Last Sunday, we visited with John the Baptist. Were John a doctor, we would say he had a very poor bedside manner, but he wanted us to thrive. This week, we visit with John's old man, Zechariah, and he is literally an old man. We find Zechariah where we always find him, in the temple. He's a priest. It's what we would expect. He is offering incense and and aiding the people of God as they gather to pray. It's not a surprise to find him there. He had done it before. As a matter of fact, he had done this his entire life. But today, today is the day he had yearned for. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they had no children. And it was a, a time, it, it was a time when not having children not only raised questions in their hearts, it raised questions among everyone. What had they done wrong? Why had God not blessed them? Were they being punished for some unfaithfulness? But all of that changes as Gabriel descends with breathtaking news. Zechariah, as old as you are, old man. You're going to be a daddy, and your son will be God's prophet. Now, two things about this, and the first thing has nothing to do with the sermon. I just need to name it. Stories like this can be hard because too many, too many know the questions that Zechariah and Elizabeth faced before the angel arrived. And for some, the angel never arrives. And and maybe you have your own questions. Maybe like Zechariah before you, you wonder, did I do something wrong? Am I being punished? I just need to say, it's not that. It's not about that. Sometimes you can do everything right and things will still go wrong. Not every sick person heals. Not every struggling marriage pulls it back together. Not every test is passed, even when we pray. 
Sometimes we do everything right and things will still go wrong. And it's not because God has passed you by or is punishing you. It has nothing to do with that. Sometimes it's just tragedy and no answer comes. And we just have to go on. But if I understand the text, there's a different word that speaks to us. When we read, when we read this story, old Gabriel's feet have already crashed through the temple ceiling, and we meet Zechariah in his moment of transformation. But what I want to ask today is, what happened before the angel arrives? I don't mean when Zechariah's having breakfast. I, I, I mean the the months before and the years before and the decades before, the lifetime of coming to the temple and lighting incense and offering the same prayer you've been praying your whole life. This text says he was righteous. He and Elizabeth both, according to the commandments and laws, they were blameless. He wasn't being punished. There was nothing to punish him for. He'd been coming to this temple and lighting this incense and holding on to a prayer that it seems God is committed to ignore until I imagine Zechariah had most likely given up that God would respond to him at all. But still, Zechariah keeps praying. We are drawing close to the night when we remember the birth of the love that defines us. It is a love that shows us how to be a real person, but it's a love that is hard to trust sometimes because there's a lot of hate. Sometimes it feels like the hate is winning. There's a lot of greed. And sometimes it feels that the greed is too strong to overcome. There are a lot of folks who seem to delight in destroying things, lives and communities and truth, and sometimes it seems that the destruction is too powerful. And sometimes it seems as folks of character are viewed as weak. And the unscrupulous ones are the ones who win. And we can begin to wonder if God is paying attention to us at all. Love can be hard to trust because its power is not like other powers. It has the capacity to make us both strong and weak at the very same time. Sometimes... Sometimes you can do everything right, and things will still go wrong. The key is to never stop doing right. And when that feels exhausting, when that feels too hard, when that seems unreasonable, remember the old man Zechariah who never stopped doing right. Remember him, for he tells us the angels haven't forgotten us. 
Love will win. I do not know when the angels will show up, but God has not forgotten us, so it's worth the wait. Sometimes we do everything right, and things will still go wrong. The key is to never stop doing right. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.